Episode 11, September 4th, 2020. It's titled Charities and Business. Written and podcast for entrepreneurs, corporate management, and investors, John D. Sanders expands on his philosophies of making companies attractive for outside capital. Why to do it, how to do it, when to do it, how to promote it, and what to do with it. Visit johnsanders.com for more insights, articles, stories, and be sure to catch this podcast anywhere you get yours. All right. Good morning, Mr. John. Another podcast from Big John Sanders, Big John S., the little John B. So this morning, I thought we would talk about a little bit different than we've been talking about our previous weeks. I'm going to talk about charity and its relationship to business. They are tied together because, first of all, if you don't have a good environment to do business in, you can't do good business. So businesses need to support the community, support the charitable activities, make sure that the environment for doing business is as good as possible. And if you've got people that are not up to snuff, they drag down business. If you've got a community that's not exciting to be involved in, you drag down business. All of these things, so, and, and in business, Having employees that don't care about their community or don't care about their environment, uh, it drags down your own business. You, they get excited. It's projects they can work on that are not directly related to making money. And that, that enthuses a lot of people, especially the younger, the younger people. You've still got stars in their eyes. As old folks, you know, you have to kick our butts to get us to think about something good. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm an old folk. The, uh, oh, I was on the golf course yesterday. God, I felt every year of myself. Plus, it was hot. So, we're not playing golf this weekend. It's too hot. Yep. So, I just want to discuss about four of the, of the charities that I'm involved in, how I got involved, and why they're so exciting, and why I picked these. First of all, I do not give to the, the United Way. I don't give to the Park Fund. I don't give to these big big uh, charities. They're good, and the guys with big money need to donate to them. I don't have that kind of money. So, in fact, I tell the university I went to that are bugging me. I still do some stuff with them. But, in fact, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But uh, when they talk about giving to their endowment fund, I said, Dad, you have got too much money in your endowment fund. Your professors aren't hustling enough. And I said, plus, whatever I could give, you wouldn't name a toilet seat after me. <laughs> compared to what, what other gifts they got coming in the door. So the most exciting one in my mind today was I was at the Aqua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation Gala Saturday night. Here in Carlsbad, we have three big lagoons coming off, obviously, off the ocean. And the one closest to us, in fact, I can almost reach out and touch it, is the Aqua Hedionda, and it's big. And several years ago, when they built a adjacent, well, not adjacent, but nearby golf course, big luxury, there was a house on it. And so the people who built the golf course donated the big house to the Hedionda Foundation for a discovery center, which is right there by the, uh, by the, the lagoon. It doesn't actually touch the lagoon. So they have to go out and come back. But they have plenty of room for trails. They have animals. They have animals that are around the lagoon. Got a big uh, 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 
what is it? Uh, what, what's the thing it crawls around? Whatever. And, and it, 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 it's there. And uh, they have snakes. And the kids come, and they've got plenty of room for these kids, especially elementary school kids, mm-hmm. to take part in projects. And the teachers love it because the kids get excited, and the teachers don't have to monitor them. Right. So, so the days of COVID, they've got room to spread them out, and plus, little kids don't catch it. So, so, um, uh, but so I went to the gala Saturday night. So they set it up. It was called the Lagoon Saloons, and they set it up with about sixteen of us at the Discovery Center. We had four tables of four. And then each, eight of the directors of the foundation each invited eight guests to their home for a Lagoon Saloon. So they had uh, a program. Uh, I, I gave 30 seconds, just a, a welcome, because we were the title sponsor that night. And uh, uh, that was fun. Though. Dressed in our cowboy outfits, we were ready to go. And uh, uh, so I had, my, I had my Kentucky Derby hat. I went to Kentucky Derby a few years ago. That's my hometown. In fact, I grew up about two about a mile from Churchill Downs. I went to high school about two blocks from Churchill Downs. So we used to go over early in the morning and watch them work out the horses. But I had my Stetson hat. I was hot stuff. So uh, uh, the uh, and then they had some trivia questions. A few other things they did through Zoom connections. So everybody was sort of tied in. And of course, they had a live auction. They had some. Uh, Silent auction. So they raised about $55,000 for that. Oh my gosh, that's very, great. Very, very good. And what I've done is I've given a, a number of small grants, $1,500, $2,000. In fact, one of the $1,500 grants um, uh, supported their podcast with you. Yes, and let's talk about that. I'm, I'm recording with them two episodes. They are so wonderful to work with. Oh, and, so, and Samantha is phenomenal. She's been there she seven is. years. So, Did you know that? No, uh-uh. She's been there a number of years. She's a very so, so, person. Yeah, let me just mention to everybody out there listening, just go look up um, Nature All Around Me is the name of the podcast. And the first episode was released a couple of weeks ago, and it's uh, titled Monarch Migration. And Samantha talks um, for eight minutes about the monarch butterfly and its migration and exactly what they're doing to help um, propagate the monarchs because you know they have a high mortality rate and they're sort of going away. It was a fabulous episode. I couldn't believe how much she put into eight minutes. It was amazing. <laughs> they're much more efficient than I am. <laughs> My eight minutes take 30. So um, I keep coming up with side issues. But you know, I was at uh, the uh, breakfast. I had breakfast uh, uh, Monday morning at uh, Daily News. I'm sitting outside, you know, you got all those bushes around. There must have been a hundred butterflies floating around that place. They were the little yellow ones. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really fun watching them. Is the Daily News that coffee house across the street from you? Well, yes. It's it's right on the corner of uh, Grand and Carlsbad Boulevard. Yep. I've been there. Got a nice big uh, patio, and they've now extended their patio out into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I like sitting in the parking lot, then you can watch everybody come and go. And the butterflies. Uh, now that I watch the butterflies. So, um, uh, anyway, I think Equa Erianda, and plus it's a great nature. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's phenomenal. And the people, this is what I love. 
I love giving where I can see where it's going. Mm. You know, when you put money in these big things or you throw it back to your university or their endowment fund, it just sits there and mm. makes life easy for the people that are there instead of having them hustle every day. You know, I've been on commission since I left the government in 1968. I've only had a salary for four years when I paid myself as the CEO of the newspaper. Other than that, I've been on a commission basis. Means you get up in the morning, got no backlog, got no money coming in unless you go hustle and sell something. I love the pressure. Not now. I'm I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I I also you know I wanted to mention regarding the Lagoon Foundation um, is I've been talking you know I didn't know about it until you introduced me to them. And I've been telling everybody I know, like young couples in their 30s and 40s that have children, nobody knows about it, you know. So I've been telling them, you've got to take your kids there. They will take just the absolutely love it. They will fall in love with it. And mm -hmm. you can walk the trails. You don't have to worry about uh, safety. They, they're there. Uh, just have to watch out for snakes, of course. But that's everywhere. And um, uh, But the inside, they've got all kinds of exhibits. They're going to expand. Enhance exhibits this year also. Yeah, and actually, if you show up without a mask, they have several there. They have masks right there in the front. Right? Yep. And they yep. have some drinks and, and, and things to munch on. And you can get some ice cream. So, Ooh, I might let have me to tell go you about that. robotics. It's another of my special fields that I love. Okay. And I fell in love with robotics back when I was in Myrtle Beach before I moved here. And there I got, I had, was involved helping start a Grand Strand, that's their, what they call the region, the Grand Strand Technology Council, which were companies that were interested in supporting the community. They don't have one around here, they ought to. And um, so the high schools there are big into what's called the uh, FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, that's the title of it, FIRST Robotics, and it's based, it's, that charity is based out of Boston, and it was founded by the guy who invented the insulin pump. So he's got plenty of money. All of a sudden, can't think of his name. Names escape me. When you get my age, John, you won't remember your own name. And uh, <laughs> so First Robotics has, across the country, they have 65 regions. And the region that Myrtle Beach was in, they had the regional competition. And these robots are big size. They're probably four by four feet on the base. And uh, they do stuff like throw frisbees, throw basketballs, go back and forth. They, and so every year in the competitions, the regional competitions, our region had 55 high schools participating with these robotics. My gosh. And these are, so in Jan the first Saturday in January, they go pick up their kits. And that has a lot of the electronics, which are kind of hard, that are the guts of the business. But then they have to do all the other stuff that make the robot work. And uh, uh, so the regional competition is in March and April. Then in May, they have the national competition, which brings the top two of each region to St. Louis for the big national competition. So then they have 120 teams participating. And, and it's interesting, the first year I was involved, the team that won our uh, region suddenly realized they had to raise 25000 to get everybody to hand the robots to St. Louis. Said you won, but look what you won! You had, you won this opportunity. You got to pay for it, and they never had a problem raising the money because the parents say the interesting thing about those programs. And now they go all the way down into grade school, 
And we were doing a little bit of that, but I've supported the robotics here at Kelly Elementary School, which is the closest school here. Plus, they have a couple of teachers that I'm, I'm tied into. And their robotics, they, they have the kindergarten through fourth graders do Lego robotics. And Lego is big in that stuff. And they're, they're, they go by and they do things. And they have uh, uh, obstacle courses they have to deal with. So it's real robot. But the key to all of this, whether it's high school or the little kids, is teamwork. You know, if you ever had a science program when you were in the third or fourth or fifth grade, you had a partner. Science always. projects always have partners. And that carries through to business. This is why technology companies might be competitors, but they're also partners. The thing is, to solve big problems, you have to have the best talent. And you mm-hmm. go out and search for the best talent. And um, the uh, the other thing I saw in Myrtle Beach, because I was doing that stuff for eight years there, The when they first started, there was a casual girl involved, mostly boys. Then the girls started creeping in, but generally in passive roles. By the time I left, the girls were running the teams. Right? They were organized. They were getting things done. The boys did, had the screwdrivers. And... Um, uh, so it was interesting to watch that, to watch the strength of the girls. But at those regional competitions, the teams would come with their flag. They all had T-shirts. I mean, this was big-time competition. It rivaled football, especially in a lot of the smaller schools. And uh, you see the kids light up, and all of a sudden they realize how important math and science is. That's the best thing to come out of it. They suddenly like math. They suddenly like physics. They like chemistry because it begins to make sense to them. And they even find that out in grade school. They're applying what they know. Yeah. Application is the key. You can yeah. study all you want, but if you're not applying it, if it you don't feel it goes hold. anywhere, it, you don't study it very much. Right. Kind of like I did quantum physics in graduate school. I said, this is of zero value to me. And I, fortunately, the professor was uh, generous and he gave us all B's. But he knew you had to have a <laughs> B in graduate school. <laughs> yeah. It was the lowest yeah, B yeah. I ever got. And um, so, but I am, I love the robotics stuff. And anybody that's listening to this, if you've got a child, get them involved in robotics. Go to the school, see what's going on. Just go to one of the competitions and watch the kids, how, how they're into it. And you'll see this, this is really fantastic. This really is a good thing. And they're all charity. You can give to the schools, you can give to the robotics programs and, uh, see where your money goes, and go watch it being spent. It's great, really. And where locally in the Carlsbad area, where would uh, where would uh, parents actually... Well, at the elementary schools, at the, every school is now involved in it one way or the other. Really? So talk to the principal. Find out who's doing it and how you might contribute and participate. Maybe mm-hmm. even be, a, be a, uh, a team captain or something. Help them raise yeah. some money. Yeah. And what they do is they go out in the community and they get uh, the sponsors for their T-shirts. So you get the local grocery stores and uh, hardware stores and stuff who sponsor the stuff, get their logos on the T-shirts. The the other thing, I am involved in a community thing called the Carlsbad Charitable Foundation. Yeah, tell me about that. So the Carlsbad Charitable Foundation is independent, but it's officially a... uh, an adjunct to the San Diego Charitable Foundation, which is really big. I mean, they have mm. millions. 
They give away well over a million dollars a year. Charlottesville Charity has about 400000 in their endowment, but they give away about one hundred and ten dollars or $20,000 a year. Most of mm-hmm. this comes from the memberships and then money that's raised. Uh, and uh, then, the, then San Diego throws a little bit in the pot also. So they put out every year, they put out a uh, grant request, and local charities put in their grant requests. And generally, they they put from ten to twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars, which is pretty important to most charities. And what we're looking for is each year is kind of a different uh, a different uh, uh, emphasis. Like two years ago, it was. Uh, uh, on homeless and then also uh, elderly, always. Homeless and elderly are always good charities. Because you're never going to run out of homeless and you're never going to run out of old people. And I'm adding to the pot, not on the homeless, on the whole. But you know, it's interesting. Jesus said, you remember when Jesus was walking the streets one day and there was a, the, I get, I've forgotten whether he was blind or what, but he was begging. And somebody said something about the poor and said, Jesus says, the poor will always be with us. Mm. You sit there and say, now what did Jesus mean by that? Now I have my own interpretation, which I usually do. But I think he said, there's always going to be people that you need to give charity to. And as Mm. you get larger, you know, when I was in school, everybody used to say, you know, there's always a bottom half to every class. No matter how hmm. far you progress in school, there's always a bottom half. No matter how far you are in graduate school, how smart you are, there's a bottom half. So I think in society, there's always a bottom half and there's a lower 10%. So no matter, so you might say that about the United States. The poor in the United States are a hell of a lot better off than the poor in most of the rest of the world. And uh, uh, so there's always an advantage to be in the United States. So I like the Carlsbad Charitable. It's about there's about ten of us on the grants committee, and uh, it's fun meeting these these uh, charities. They get about twenty five or so uh, proposals a year, and they grant about five or six. You know, because you've got mm-hmm. only so much money. And then they have a uh, uh, a big get together to give out the grants. And this year there was the emphasis on helping the uh, uh, with the need from the COVID pandemic, where the charities could help. And that was uh, kind of half of them went and something like that. And very, very novel uh, proposals to come in for pro- programs and so forth from all sorts of charities. What it awakens you to is how many charities there are. They are all over the place. And how they got started and how they finance themselves is very interesting. And to follow this, I'm learning more and more about charity. So what do you know about, I mean, you know, what's the difference between a charity and a just a regular nonprofit? Or are well, they the same? To be a charity, you have to qualify as a 501c3 under that, which have to prove that you give the way, money away. You, you're there to not get anything out of it. A nonprofit can be like a government think tank, right, mm-hmm. where it's just they claim a nonprofit. This place here where I live at Carlsbad by the Sea is part of Front Porch, which is a nonprofit, but not a charity. But within Carlsbad by the Sea, our resident association is both a nonprofit and as a corporation and registered as a charity. 
So when we give money to for our uh, uh, year-end bonuses, our, our gifts to the residents, I mean to the workers, that's a charitable contribution, which always helps. And um, so it, it, it you got to jump through hoops, and you have to file a Form 990, which is very complex. I had to do it one day. The, the D.C. Technology Council had formed as a 501c3, and filing out that Form 990 was a pain in the butt. You know, you had this program, and of course, it's a government form, so it never coincides with the way you keep your books. Great. So do you, are there some other um, kind of charities that you really, really like as well outside of Carlsbad? I mean, is there, or even within Carlsbad? Well, I, uh, I also gave money to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, to the eyesight. There's several ones that deal with eyesight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had my, by the way, last year was a banner year for my wife and me. We did two big trips, one to India and one to Egypt. And thank, thank goodness we got them done before this pandemic hit. Because I no doubt we're going to make any more international trips. But we yeah. also got our cataracts fixed, both of us. They yeah. weren't bothering us, but they're coming. And uh, so get them done. So, in fact, I see my eye doctor next Tuesday. So that was good. I, it, it hasn't made me, I still had to wear my glasses to get my driver's license. But everything's brighter. And I see clear, and I can wear most of my time without my glasses. But when I really need to see, like, catch your, catch your beard and all the little stuff, I need my glasses. <laughs> so I wear, them, I, wear them when I, I wear them when I'm out, so then it's, it's just easier, and I don't have to mess with it. Yeah, I've often wondered, I don't have any cataract issues, I don't think, but I, I just wonder if LASIK um, surgery of some sort would help me. I have astigmatism that just is pretty wild. So I can't, like, go to Walmart and pick well, up. Well, our granddaughter fix- was very much astigmatic. Very tough. And she just had LASIK done on her eyes. She doesn't need glasses or contacts. Mm. Cured it and fixed the astigmatism. So it's uh, something you got to look at. You get to an eye doctor and see what they can do. You might find yeah. they can they, they can do miracles this, these days. My dad well, had my dad had cataracts taken. It was in the early 1950s. I was in uh, where was I? I was in high school, and uh, he had he the he was in hospital. It was he was in the intensive care for two days. Then he was in a hospital bed with sandbags on his head because he couldn't move his head for one week. And oh, my gosh. Look at the difference in those was 60 years. But uh, what cataracts now is an outpatient operation. Yeah, it's 20 minutes. You're in and out. Mm-hmm. 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 It's amazing. Progress of scientists and technology is really is really good. And, you know, that not so much science, it's technology, it's the equipment, it's the lasers, it's all this sort of stuff. So regardless of what you do, technology is the wave of the future, and we're all limited by how it goes. And we're in the right business, too, that's for sure. So I, that's, that's, that's sort of my uh, uh, emphasis for the day. Um, I love, I've fallen in love with Aquahedionda, and because yep. of the people that are there, and uh I love robotics, and I love the Carlsbad Charitable Foundation. I think it's really a great community service, and it awakens people to charity, if nothing else. I mean, 
we're not solving all the problems, but I think we can emphasize good charities and have people contribute to them. And so, as John, I say, it's important for business for several mm-hmm. reasons. Number one, if you don't have a good community, you can't do good business. So helping the community grow, helping even the down, the downtrodden and the low end become more involved gives you more customers, gives you a, a, a greater, a better environment to do business in. Your employees, if they get dedicated to one or two charities, it makes them better employees because now they're more thinking outwardly and how can we help and how can we do stuff. It helps your business, no question about it. So I'm big in charity for business as well. I want to ask you a question. I want to flip back to when you were talking about the company, I think, in Boston that was doing robotics and girls would come into it. And uh, but then at some point they're kind of like running the show. Yeah. So what what is it about that in terms of women? I think I, I have my own views on this that would uh, you know take them to the place of kind of running the show. Well, I give you my own bias. I, I love women yep. in business. Yep, me too. I've always said for salespeople, when I had when I ran a newspaper, all my salespeople except for one were women. They were mm-hmm. young young women in their late twenties, early thirties. They had to be attractive because you don't want to turn people off by your your looks. So I mean, I do admit that that's a significant thing. Not beautiful, right? Just attractive mm-hmm. with a strong handshake and a great smile. A woman with a good handshake. I hope we go back to handshake. A woman with a good handshake and a good smile is way ahead of a man in every sense. And the reason is, is that men like to do business with women. Women like to do business with women. And the women like to do business with women because they want to help them in their career. Women want to help mm-hmm. women. Men mm-hmm. like to do business with women because they really want to be mothered. They want mm-hmm. that woman who they trust, like they trusted their mother, to say, now this is what you should do. And this is how women sell. They don't sit there and throw stuff out and let the man make it. They decide what is best for him and tell him to do it. And generally, they'll do it. Yeah, so I think you answered the question in summary about how these women kind of ended up running the show is that that in life, in terms of if they got a brood of kids and stuff, they're used to running the show. Yeah. They're used to... They're used to making sure that, you know, all the kids are like in line and are doing well. They run the children, they run the house. Exactly. They run the house. There you go. Right there. Awesome. So I love women, by the way. I love women in business because they're usually very solid and they're nervous about getting out too financially on the hook, which is one of my big bugaboos. Don't get yourself in financial trouble. Keep reserves in the bank. Be ready for anything to go wrong. Yep, exactly. Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up today? That's good enough for this morning. All right, my friend, take care. You too.